0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia
1: divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com.
0: Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Before our show begins on all platforms, one of the things we'll do at DogNation.com, we call it our first in 15. It's uh, 9.45 in the morning It involves comments on our Dog Nation homepage, our Dog Nation app. It's just a little bit of early extra content as a lead-in to our show. And people can ask whatever they want to ask, and I'll pretty much respond to sort of whatever in a situation like that. A moment ago, somebody brought up pro wrestling, gave me a chance to talk about one of my uh, uh, favorite pastimes here. Not everybody loves it when I talk about wrestling, but I do like wrestling. I've always liked wrestling. And so uh, kind of a fun thing to be able to have that conversation. The point I'm getting to, though, is – is that when my kids came along, I was sort of hoping they would really like wrestling because it would give me a chance to sort of re, uh, I guess, sort of get a little deeper into something I've always liked. But as you get older, you sort of get busy. Maybe you don't really feel like you should be spending that much time around a somewhat sort of silly pastime or whatever else. And if your kids are involved in it, well, that sort of gives you an excuse to do as much of that as you want to. But the truth is, I have never really had either of my two kids get all that much into wrestling. I still probably like it. More than either of them do. They like it a little bit, but maybe not always as much as I uh, would want them to. That's just not really quite their thing. And ultimately, while I sort of wish it was different, I'm kind of okay with it. But when it comes to something else like, say, football, and in our case, college football, I am very, very thankful that my son in particular is as into college football as he is. Wrestling, I'd like for him to be into it, but ultimately, I don't really care. Football, I think there is something kind of important about choosing to follow football, pay attention to football, and get as close to that sport as you possibly can. In fact, you know, not to be too corny or take things to a deeper level than they need to go, I think there is probably a reason our society values football as much as we do. We may not know how to articulate that necessarily, uh, but there is something about football that goes beyond just well, it's a good diversion, it's a good entertainment, it's something to bet on or you know, whatever sort of surface-level thing people might see there. There seems to be a little something deeper going on when it comes to football that it sort of brings about things about life that are not always super easy to articulate but perhaps pretty important to understand. And so, therefore, when my kids gravitate towards football, I think that's actually a good thing. And there are some life lessons that you could take from kind of getting – a little closer to the sport. And I'll tell you what causes me to think that Uh, our friends over at the players lounge who were kind of involved, uh, in the university of Georgia from an NIL standpoint, in some form, some fashion, they put out a quote a couple of days ago on Instagram from Georgia running back, Roderick Robinson that I think is really pretty neat. And it's a little bit commonplace to see Georgia players saying this, we've gotten used to running backs. In fact, in some respects saying this across maybe all levels of the sport, uh, and yet, at the same time, I don't think the kind of commonplace nature of statements like this, especially in Georgia, ought to cause us to overlook how selfless it is, how, I think, special that it is, and how much it demonstrates the sort of connection player to player that has supposedly made Georgia so uh, special over the course of the last couple of years. And one of the reasons why I think Kirby Smart believes that Georgia has been able to have the national championship success that it's been able to have. Let me show you this on the screen. If you're watching video and if you're listening to radio podcast, I'll read it to you. The Players Lounge sharing this quote from Roderick Robinson on Trevor Etienne coming into the program. Robinson saying, I feel like God brings everyone where they are for a reason. We welcomed him with open arms to be the best, you got to play with the best as well. And I just feel like he's going to elevate all of our games at the same time. We're all just going to get better from it. That's what Roderick Robinson says about Trevor Etienne coming in from Florida. Now, the subtext of all this is there is obviously another way in which you could think about this. If you're Roderick Robinson, you could think, I've been waiting for my turn. I've been waiting for my carries. You know, last year I watched Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards get a lot of those. Now it's my time, and I'm sort of ready to do my thing. And in some respects, I'm sure Robinson probably does feel that way. Obviously, he's a human being like the rest of us, and we would all perhaps think that way at least just a little bit. And it would be, once again, human nature to be tempted to be a little, who is this Trevor Etienne guy coming here to try to take what I've been waiting my turn for? And who's this guy who was at Florida going to kind of come in here and try to steal some glory, steal some attention, steal some snaps, steal some touches? Who is this guy to do this? There could be, it would be human nature, it would be natural to have a little bit of a rivalry between players in a position group. And sometimes in sports, that sort of happens but not at Georgia and not when it comes to running backs, apparently. Roderick Robinson's statement there I think is a pretty strong one, that he believes that Georgia is made better by having a guy like Etienne here, and therefore, if you're Roderick Robinson, I play for Georgia, why wouldn't I want Georgia to be better, even if it comes at some of the expense of the individual glory I might be able to get? Now, there's also kind of like the practical reality of running backs like other running backs because it keeps them from having to take, you know, and shoulder too much of a load, and, and, and we get that. But still, there's a pretty strong team concept on display. I think it says something kind of cool about Georgia. And I also think it says, as I mentioned a moment ago, something sort of cool about football overall. That if you really watch football closely enough, long enough, you're going to see lots of the best of what life has to offer. And men at their best, you know, college football sort of makes men growing into full-fledged men, men being at their best. I think a lot of times that's really what football puts on display. I think Roderick Robinson is an example of that. Now, we also talked the other day about one dude from CBS Sports who kind of talked about the way in which a guy like Roderick Robinson, we would say, you know, Branson Robinson and others have a chance to be this too, but for now we're talking about Roderick. A guy like Roderick could sort of be the classic cliché, the duo, the thunder and lightning that Robinson might provide that thunder for Georgia this year, the tough hard yards, the runs in between tackle. And a guy like Trevor Etienne, who's shown some speed, who has some athleticism, he could sort of be that lightning version of a Georgia running back, which frankly, over the course of the last couple of years, maybe Georgia hasn't always had that archetype of player. That a guy like Roderick Robinson could be the thunder. Trevor Etienne could be the lightning. And that could create a pretty interesting pairing for Georgia at the running back spot. I believe that's true. And, If you'll allow me to kind of move the conversation forward just for a minute, I also think that it sort of opens up a discussion of, well, what exactly should the offensive profile for Georgia be? And if you look at like the one problem that kind of loomed for Georgia in terms of why it didn't go for three and twenty-three and why it didn't win a third straight national championship, you know, I think the one sort of lingering kind of Issue from the 2023 season was an offense that was among the best in the country. There are only a small handful of teams that scored 40 points per game, only two of those in the SEC, and Georgia was one of them. So Georgia was one of the most successful offenses in America this past season, and yet the full firepower of that offense didn't quite show up in the SEC championship loss to uh, Alabama. Georgia was held underneath 30 points In that particular game some of that can be sort of explained by well you didn't have a healthy brock bowers and you didn't have a healthy lad mcconkey but georgia's not like ohio state and alabama programs who've sort of made their whole personality whining about injuries georgia's not really like that georgia's a lot more willing to kind of look introspectively and sort of see what could be fixed about what kept georgia from showing its full offensive firepower in a game like that. And so since we're talking about running backs and what Etienne could be alongside a guy like Roderick Robinson and how other running backs like Branson Robbins and Andrew Paul and the incoming freshman could supplement all of that, it kind of got me thinking a little bit about how the running back position fits overall into what Georgia does offensively. And is there something that Georgia could do with how it sort of distributes the football perhaps prevent a game like Alabama in December where your offense just doesn't quite show up to the full extent it had in previous games. And this is a little bit of a crackpot theory. I totally get that. And maybe this doesn't make as much sense to all of you as it maybe does to me, but I want to kind of lay this out and see if you think I might be on to something here a little bit in terms of, you know, what we might be able to see from Georgia offensively. And as a way of setting this up, I want to go back to something we did on the show a couple of days ago. Do you remember, was it Monday, Tuesday, whatever day it was? All these days start to run together a little bit. We're talking about, you know, uh Marcus Roseme Jackson, the former Georgia receiver, getting praise from Mel Kiper's one of those ESPN podcasts and and, and Mel's kind of laying all this out about, you know, uh Roseme Jackson can do this, can do that, do this. And Field Yates, the other draft analyst who's on the show, offered a little bit of an explanation for well, if Roseby Jack Saints, this kind of draft prospect, the, the kind of guy that could be taken maybe even second day of the NFL draft on that Friday, then how come we didn't see more of that from a statistical standpoint at Georgia? And in making that statement, uh, Field Yates about Marcus Roseby Jack saying, I think he got into an interesting description of what Georgia is offensively overall. So as a way of kind of having this conversation, can I go back in time here for a second and let you hear again what Field Yates said in a clip we played the other day? Here's the ESPN draft analyst on both Marcus Rosemey-Jack Saint and the Georgia offense.
1: Yeah, and Mel, I don't think this was a case in the case of Rosemey-Jack Saint of a guy not putting it all together in college because the truth about playing at Georgia is twofold one you got to be patient right just a couple of years ago george pickens a Mm -hmm. second round wide receiver and even during the past couple of years obviously brock bowers the best tight end in the country one of the best players amongst all pass catchers in the country lad mcconkey obviously a big factor in that offense as well and don't forget The top two Georgia running backs this season, Mel, combined for 27 rushing scores. So there wasn't going to be nearly as much passing game production in this offense because so often Georgia was just running the football and beating you with defense probably contributed to that lower total catch number uh, for Rosemead Jack Saint compared to what you might expect.
0: So when we did this topic on the show the other day, my big takeaway was, okay, well, if you want to highlight Georgia wide receivers a little bit better, then you just need more passing touchdowns. You know, Georgia doesn't always have tons of passing touchdowns. They were just uh, – they were 18th in America this past season at 29 passing touchdowns. You know, that's not in keeping with some of the other offensive stats they kind of put out. So if you, want to, if you want to showcase wide receivers a little bit better, then you probably need more passing touchdowns to be able to do that. But once again, thinking a little bit more deeply about this and sort of bringing the running backs into the discussion it kind of got me thinking about the overall makeup of how Georgia has produced – the offensive success that it's enjoyed, including last year in the 2023 season. And to give you a couple of stats here for a moment, and I don't want to overwhelm you with this, but I want to try to see if we can uh, speak about this in a way that makes sense to everybody. You know, uh, Field Yates there says, boy, you look at the overall rushing touchdown numbers that Georgia puts up. One of the reasons why a guy like Marcus Rosemey-Jackson ends up with lesser stats than uh, he possibly could have had. And the numbers are actually even more profound than what Field Yates described there. When I looked at this, I was a little bit surprised. Georgia led the country this past season with 40 rushing touchdowns. Nobody in America had more rushing touchdowns than Georgia had this past year, and it was 40 in total. By comparison, Georgia only had 29 passing touchdowns. Uh, That was 18th best in the country. Now, when you think about the overall, I guess, uh, caricature that gets drawn of Georgia – That's kind of in keeping with what people sort of expect from UGA. This is, in the minds of some, sort of a mentally, you know, physically tough, sometimes run-first style team, and they don't value the passing game quite as much. And so, therefore, to a lot of people, it makes sense that Georgia has almost twice as many rushing touchdowns as it does passing touchdowns, 40 compared to 29. But the actual truth of Georgia offensively is a little bit different than that. When you look at a different metric, such as plays of 20 or more yards, Passing plays of 20 or more yards, rushing plays of 20 or more yards. The actual stats are almost inverted, whereas Georgia was number six last year in America. Sixth best in America in passing plays of 20 or more yards. It's 65 passing plays of 20 or more yards. Good for six best in America, but only 40th best in rushing plays of 20 or more yards. So what does all this mean? Let me see if I can explain this. If you sort of close your eyes and got a picture of what Georgia football is, It's a team that passes its way down the field and then rushes for touchdowns. And if you think about it, doesn't that sort of feel like what it is? A team that marches down the field with effective passing plays, 65 plays of 20 or more yards, but then when they get down there near the scoring area, you can call it the red zone or just outside the red zone, whatever else. At that point in time, the rushing game sort of takes over. Georgia had more rushing touchdowns than anybody else. Now, however you kind of get there, nobody, very few teams in America, we're better at scoring overall than Georgia was. But what if you reverse these stats here a little bit, or perhaps you sort of balanced these stats out a little bit more. I told you the other day, that I think that Georgia might benefit from a few more passing touchdowns. And if Georgia threw for more touchdowns, they would, it stands to reason they wouldn't rush for 40 touchdowns because some of those would now be touchdowns through the air. But if it was a little bit more balanced, wouldn't that make Georgia perhaps a little bit more difficult to stop? And Isn't the same thing potentially true when it comes to these plays of 20 or more yards? You love Georgia having 65 passing plays of 20 or more yards. You perhaps don't want less than that. But if Georgia could somewhere sort of inside the twenties from 20 to 20, kind of the middle portion of the field, if they could be a little bit better at producing big time explosive runs, if they could find more than 20 rushing plays of 20 or more yards this upcoming season, wouldn't that also make Georgia a little bit more difficult to stop? In other words, We saw a truly great Georgia offense this past season. Explosive. 40 points per game. Few teams in America were better. But in terms of the overall makeup of how Georgia got to 40, did that contribute to the fact that Georgia became a little too easy for Alabama to stop in the game that mattered most? And what if there was a little bit more equity or balance between Georgia's passing touchdowns and its rushing touchdowns and its explosive plays of 20 or more yards between the pass and the run? If Georgia was a little bit more balanced in both those categories, would that perhaps prevent Georgia from having the sort of offensive performance against Alabama, where it seems like they didn't show up to the same level they had for most of the regular season? I'm not quite so sure there's definitive proof one way or another, but it is an interesting thing to consider. When you look at what Georgia creates in terms of explosives, far more passes than runs. What it creates in terms of its touchdowns, far more rushes than throws. But what would more balance mean for the Georgia offense? I think that's a question worth exploring as we head towards the 2024 season. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Merryweather and Tharp, we're glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us, we're live on video 10 a.m. across all video platforms, on the radio, Athens Sports Radio 960, rf podcasts wherever you find them. Just really uh, so thankful that you found. Dog Nation Daily here today, and we really appreciate our friends at Meriwether and Tharp who make it all possible, taking good care of you during a challenging time. That is what Meriwether and Tharp is all about, and for a long time, you've heard us call them your source for Georgia divorce. One of the ways in which that's true is the fact that Meriwether and Tharp is expanding its services all across the state to really meet with you during a time of need. Savannah, coming soon in Athens, really working hard to uh, make sure they are as available for you as possible no matter where you happen to be across our great state that's why you need to visit their website georgiadivorceteam.com that's georgiadivorceteam.com and one of the things i think you'll encounter when you have a free initial consultation with one of those meriwether and throb attorneys or just sort of acquaint yourself with their offerings by perusing their website you know one of the ways i i think that you'll experience them is the fact they are very forward thinking in terms of anticipating your concerns really kind of creating something that maybe meets your need before you even know that it's a need. And one of the ways that shows up and how you pay for the divorce process, there's obviously some cost associated with this. And perhaps that's one of the things that fills you with anxiety. You you maybe now realize that divorce is an uh, unavoidable reality in your life. And I think one of your big questions might be, well, how am I going to pay for this exactly? Well, that's where our friends at Meriwether and Tharp can offer you a little bit of cost certainty here and sort of explain to you that there are a lot of options they can provide that give you a way of knowing exactly what this is going to cost you. In fact, if you feel like your situation is not too complicated, pretty straightforward, there's a DIY option for Meriwether and Tharp. that can cost you as low as $99. They've also got the MT assisted model, which can be as low as $1,749. And the most popular uh, service offering they have right now is what they call their model m and which is a like a payment plan situation you get it as a subscription sort of paying monthly as your divorce process is ongoing or a flat fee if you'd rather do that just lots of creative ways to give you the cost certainty you need to take care of one of the most challenging situations you perhaps have ever faced and uh, Meriwether and tharp wants to walk with you on your side as you go through all of this so please find them online it's georgiadivorceteam.com that's the website georgiadivorceteam.com Merryweather and tharp is your source For Georgia divorce. Now, we've got Terrence Edwards here coming up in just a moment. We also have another great special guest coming up today, Jake Fromm, later on. Really good stuff coming up with Jake about some of his former Georgia teammates in the Super Bowl on Sunday. Jake's got some great stories to tell about all of that, and we will get to that then. Prior to that, though, let's go around the doghouse here today. And this is an interesting time of year when some of the early statistical work previewing the upcoming season starts to come out. There's a man named Bill Conley, who's kind of an analytics expert for ESPN.com. Some of the math nerd stuff doesn't quite you know, mean as much to me anymore as it maybe does to some other people. But it's still interesting to hear a lot of these statistician types talking about their reasoning. And the thing that Conley's famous for is a ratings uh, formula called SP+, where you look at teams on kind of a per-play basis and sort of how they compare to the teams that they're playing And, you know, the makeup of the team in terms of the overall talent level and their sort of previous track record for success and things like that, you sort of create a sort of a mathematical formula that gives you an idea of which teams are better than others. And Georgia, it may not surprise you, is uh, number one in the SP plus ratings to begin the 2024 season here. And Conley went on the Paul Feinbaum show this week and talked about the fact that not only is Georgia number one, but as he explains it, kind of number one by a fairly wide margin. This is what the math guy said on Paul Feinbaum here this week.
1: When my SP Plus projections come out tomorrow, Georgia's going to be a distant number one in the country, uh, about four points ahead of Ohio State uh, in, in second place. I guess that's another spoiler, but 10. Uh, after that, yeah, you're, you're looking at Texas as, a, as about number four. Or so you're going to look at Alabama and Ole Miss in the top 10, Missouri, LSU. Those teams are going to be pretty close. I, I think the most interesting thing to me is, I mean, we kind of know the pecking order at the top. It makes perfect sense that Georgia's one and Texas is two. But after that, you know, it, it really you could make a case for many, many, many different teams for that number three spot, uh, including Texas A&M. If you think that a first year coach can really kind of get that, you know, uh, that, that whole situation wrangled in a way that, that Jimbo Fisher couldn't uh, Tennessee. If, if the blue chip quarterback steps up, there are going to be a lot of top 15 or SEC teams in that top 15. So a couple of points about what Bill Conley yeah, we,
0: we can take yeah, a couple of points about what Bill Conley uh, has to say there. Thing number one is I think it's interesting that as he explains it from his math formula standpoint, there's a lot more data about who's underneath Georgia and who's the, I guess, the the stiffest contenders to Georgia than there is about Georgia itself. Number one by a wide margin. Now, ultimately, I don't know how much comfort that gives UGA fans. Okay, this guy's calculator says Georgia's great, but it still has to be proven on the field. That's, I think, what most Georgia fans' response to all that would be. But let me give you one more way of thinking about this. And this is why I think that, you know, perhaps should be really optimistic and excited about the upcoming season and the new format that's going to be in place for the college football playoff as we get ready to introduce this brand new season. I would suggest there's never been a better year to be on paper the best team. That when there's a 14 playoff, you know it can be easy to you know you have one trip up you can be excluded uh or it can be easy with uh, just sort of the sort of craziness of the bottleneck as you try to make the playoff to kind of get lost in the shuffle or you know their bad luck happens things like that but the 12 team playoff being the best team on paper being statistically the 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 most impressive team the, the, the you know the toughest team to beat all of a sudden now that gets a much better opportunity to actually be measured on the field one way or another and you can't be excluded because of some sort of boardroom conversation you got to be beaten on the field and in future years when that team is georgia who's apparently on paper mathematically the best it'll be a lot harder to beat them on the field than it is to beat them in the boardroom so if georgia really is as good in comparison to its comp- competition as bill conley says that it is then georgia would stand to greatly benefit from the 12-team playoff and overall that's one of the reasons why i think georgia fans should be so excited about the new season that's on its way. And that is around the doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. As we told you, two great guests for us on the program here today. Jake Fromm, the former Georgia quarterback, coming up later on. But for now, uh, one of the most uh, respected voices around all of Georgia football, a guy who always has very interesting things to say. It's uh, Terrence Edwards, the uh, record-setting Georgia legend wide receiver, joining us here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether. Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So Terrence Edwards joins us here now, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And, you know, Terrence, I don't know that either one of us would sort of cate- uh, categorize ourselves as mathematicians necessarily. Uh, by the way, is that a Terrence Edwards uh, uh, Academy logo? You're sporting on the shirt yes, there? Uh, how about that? Uh, Terrence got yes, some got some merch now. I, I'm guessing there may be a website people can go if they want to uh, show that off themselves, or do you have to be an official member of the uh, Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy to uh, to wear it? I love the number eight, by the way, on the dog collar there. Throwback to the jersey number there at UGA. Is this the kind of thing that anybody can get, or do you have to be a wide receiver to wear it?
2: No, anybody can get this. You just, you know, uh, DM me on, on my social media, and I get Get you a, a Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy shirt. And right. I've been had these, so they, they, these are not new. I just happened to wear it today.
0: I like that. Well, uh, you know, I can't wait to get the uh, package delivered here to Dog Nation World Headquarters with my own Terrence Edwards wide. Although right. I don't think I don't think my shirt on me would look as good as uh, yours does on you, <laughs> it's because to to your credit, not every and listen, not every former football player is like this. But to your credit, you still look like a wide receiver. You know a lot. No names, but there are a lot of, you know, <laughs> former wide receivers that when you see them 20, 30 years later, you know, perhaps they don't quite look like they would have played wide receiver. They look more like they'd have played maybe a different position. But to your credit, you still kinda have the wide receiver build. I of course do
2: not. So that's the 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 you know, people talked about my my build as a player being one hundred and pounds. So now twenty-five years later, I am almost two hundred pounds, but you know. People now who's 30 pounds heavier, they look like linebackers, but I still look like I could play. I still play basketball <laughs> a lot. So, you know, I, I look like a receiver now because I've gained 30 pounds since my playing days. So I didn't quite realize
0: this. Did you play at 175?
2: Yeah, that was in, in college, probably my playing weight. And in, in the my pro- professional ranks, I was around 182, 185.
0: Was it harder? Because, I mean, obviously the thought is, well, you know, getting off the line of scrimmage, things like that if if you're going up i mean you know georgia loves these 200 pound defensive backs if somebody's got a little bit of extra muscle that's going to be uh you know a, you know perhaps a tough battle to win the line of scrimmage did you find it difficult to play or or did you enjoy uh you know being light enough that you could run past people
2: um one thing about my build is i was very strong for my size yeah. so uh that having a bigger guy up there didn't bother me because i was strong enough to get off Uh, Press man, I was quick enough and fast enough to use all the tools in my tool belt. That is a wide receiver reference, right? That'd be yeah, just stuck it in
0: there. I love it. I I love to see it for uh, (laughs) for for sure. And uh, nice if you're watching a video, nice shot of uh, Terrence Edwards back playing for the Georgia Bulldogs. What I meant to start our conversation with though was, you know, the analytics people out there saying, "Oh, Georgia's not just number one; they are a clear number one. They are far ahead of anybody else the upcoming season." And as I said, I don't know how much comfort Georgia fans take from that? I mean, I think UGA sort of expects to be near the top, and whether it's someone's opinion or someone's calculator or whatever, you kind of get there. Like, what does it do for you to have the math guy say, oh my gosh, George on paper, so much better right now than anybody else? Does that do much for you right now?
2: It doesn't. It doesn't do a lot for the, the, the player. I think Kirby has done a great job in curving those expectations and let everyone know that they're not as good as the people on the outside think they are so he does a, a great job of keeping those guys very humble and willing to work i think that's more for the outside the fans perspective to get uh, excited about that but as a former player we understand that the work that comes along with those expectations
0: do you agree with what i've said that if georgia really is the best and, and by the way in future years whether it's Georgia or somebody else that whoever the best team is is going to benefit from a 12-team playoff. That we're going to have more instances moving forward where an expanded playoff is going to really demonstrate the true most talented team, as opposed to the sort of you know random occurrence where you know a, a team like Georgia gets excluded from the playoff, or whatever else. That that to be the best on paper. That the future playoff format expanded more games in the field, more chances to sort of compare teams in terms of how they perform against each other head to head. That's that this is a good format if you really are the best team because the expanded playoff is going to really truly demonstrate who the better team is in a way that the sort of four team playoff and you know at large teams getting excluded the way the previous format sort of didn't.
2: All right, I agree. I think they're. Um, like this year, I think there was six teams that could actually win won the national championship. Um, I think a loaded Florida State team um, with the Georgia teams could have had opportunity to win those games as well. But now you add 12 teams and you can really see uh, who's the best football team. Um, there's a lot of times where teams get hot late in the season. Um, there's a lot of times where injury plays a, a part of it, uh, no, a la Florida State. So you really get to see who the best teams are also be. I think it also leads to teams like Georgia who plays Alabama and Texas, I think, yeah. on the road. And if we go in and don't win those two games and very close, I still think there's an opportunity for us to get into the playoff uh, still because its I don't think there would be 12 better teams than a two-loss Georgia team and lose to a team like Texas or Alabama that committed still would – put us in. So you got a lot of room to wiggle more, in my opinion, especially if you start off one of those top one or two teams.
0: I think that's really interesting. I'll stop before you joined us about what Roderick Robinson had to say about Trevor Etienne. I want to get more deeply into what Robinson said in a moment, but just overall, I mean, how valuable do you think, not just the SEC experience of Etienne, but the fact that he has been described as explosive, you know, he is sort of thought to be a little bit of a speedier option at running back than sometimes maybe Georgia has had here. You know, what do you think that Trevor Etienne coming over from Florida, what do you think he can bring to the Georgia offense?
2: I think exactly what you just said. He's going to bring that explosiveness and downfield speed that we didn't have last year. Uh, I, I don't think we have had that since James Cook. And also I don't think we have had that running back out the backfield that could catch the football on the swing routes, on the tunnels. Uh, I think we really missed Kenny McIntosh last year because he was able to be used as a receiver out of the back, backfield, just like James Cook. And I think Etienne can bring that uh, portion of the game as well. But um, if you just go look at his Florida days, he is a very explosive running back. And I think he's going to bring that real speed in the backfield, along with Nate Frazier, along with uh, Dwight Phillips that we haven't had yeah. in the last, like especially last year.
0: And um, listen, I know this may sound sort of corny or whatever else, but I do like it when a guy like Roderick Robinson is glad to have a new teammate like this because it would be human nature to say, this guy's going to take my touches, this guy's going to steal my glory, this guy's going to be toting the football. I want to be the one toting the football. It'd be human nature to want to feel that way, and yet time after time, you know, we see a lot of college football players, but it's specifically the place like Georgia where that's just not really the mindset that if this player makes the team better, I'm all about the team, and therefore that's a good thing, even if it comes at the expense of some of my own potential personal glory here. I just think that kind of thing should be celebrated. And I read the clip of, uh, or read the quote from what Robert Robinson told the Players Lounge about that the other day. And uh, when those kinds of things happen, I think we are going to highlight that around here because a team-first mentality like that has certainly seemed to, to serve Georgia well over the last couple of seasons.
2: Almost definitely. I think the culture that Kirby has really brought to this team that is... is... Really, team me, little me. Uh, big. So I also think that the running backs have seen that you can still get drafted not being the main guy. Uh, James Cook has never been the main ball carrier, and he went in the second round and was a 1,000-yard rusher this season. So I think with the evidence at hand that we have seen at the University of Georgia that you don't have to be the main guy to still get drafted. I mean, just look at Cook. Uh, Chubb and, and Sony. Look at uh 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 the Philadelphia Swift. Yeah. Just straight. look at those guys that that have shared the 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 load and it's made the team better and it's still got those guys drafted without having the gaudy numbers and being I, I just don't think at Georgia anymore you're gonna see that one guy carrying the ball 30 times.
0: All right, so let me put you on the spot here for a minute. Do you think that running backs embrace this mentality more so than wide receivers do? And I don't mean like George's wide receivers. I mean every wide receiver. That you know the the thing that people say it's a cliche but like the idea of the sort of diva wide receiver like are wide receivers more prone to want the individual glory than running backs are because running backs across all levels of the sport, NFL, college, high school, they seem to be a little bit more comfortable sharing carries where sometimes you know we talked earlier this week about you know how Georgia kind of brands itself to other wide receivers. Do receivers just, for whatever reason, kind of naturally sort of seek out a little bit more individual glory in a way that wide res- in a way that running backs don't? Based on the Robert Robinson quote, there.
2: I think so, and I think it goes back to uh, the evolution of the running back position. I think everyone has seen. Just take, for example, uh, DeMarco Murray uh, when he played with the Dallas, Cow- Dallas Cowboys and he had over 300 carries, and he was the best running back in the league. Then the next year, um, he just fell off the face of the earth because he had so many carries. Like Larry Johnson from the Kansas City Chiefs was getting 400 carries plus year, and his life, expectancy as a running back, goes down. So I think the running back now sees that they trying to play longer, and once you hit that age of 30, they think that your your football career is over. So with less carries, I think now they feel that they can continue to play longer than 30 as wide receivers. We want the ball on the outside. We feel that numbers get us drafted, especially from the college uh, perspective. We don't go out and be this 1,000-yard receiver. We don't get the glory. We don't get the accolades. And NFL scouts don't see us, and that's far from the truth. I mean, just – take example of Ladd. Ladd's probably never had over 700 yards in his career, but his talent is going to get him drafted.
0: Want to ask you a question maybe you don't have all the insight on this. I certainly don't know. I'm sort of curious. So yesterday Georgia announced a couple of staff moves. Daryl Dickey had been an offensive analyst, he's no longer here. Uh, uh Scott Cochran who had been kind of the special teams, you know, coordinator for lack of a better phrase, but it had been in kind of an off-field coaching role. Uh, Since he stepped away from the program, he's no longer with the program either. And I'm curious about the Cochran stuff as it relates to special teams from the standpoint that Kirby's talking about special teams all the time, and yet the special teams coordinator, so to speak, was not an on-field coach. And a lot of programs kind of divide their special teams responsibilities different ways among their on-field coaches. But, Terrence, can you shed some insight into exactly how it is that Georgia instructs special teams – if a guy like Cochran was not an on-field coach and Cochran's replacement also going to be in kind of in that analyst role here, Georgia greatly values special teams, demands excellence from that. And yet the special teams coach has not been an on-field guy. How does the process of teaching special teams work at a place like UGA where those special teams responsibilities, I guess, are kind of divided up. Can you give us any insight on that?
2: Yes. Um, I'm not there every day, but the little time I have been, uh, I think is you know there are certain coaches that take on an ownership of certain uh special teams um so you you have your on field coaches have a a segment to uh to own uh so i i personally you just told me so i didn't know that cochran wasn't a on the field coach yeah even though having the special teams title uh so that that's new to me but there there's coaches that take ownership of certain special teams, like the office line coach may be the extra point field goals. That's probably his portion of special teams um, with the defensive line. So I think there are each coach that has to take ownership of a special team. So everybody won't get bogged down to a certain uh, segment of special teams.
0: One more before we let you go here. There's been a lot of talk lately about Travis Smith, four-star wide receiver out of Westlake. I know you like to watch a lot of these guys. Have you seen much of Travis Smith? It seems like that Georgia (laughs) could be kind of in the mix for him a little bit. Uh, You're laughing there, so you may know more about this. Uh, But um, uh, what can you tell us about Travis Smith then?
2: Come on, B.A. Come on. (laughs) Travis (laughs) I, I, Travis has <laughs> been part of the family since the 8th grade. <laughs> so that, I should have known. So that's why I'm laughing. He, he, he's he been with me since the 8th, eighth, eighth, ninth grade, and I've seen his growth as a receiver. And uh, i tell you this, with him and C.J. Wiley, those, those two are, I know, definitely are high on Georgia's board, along with a receiver from Calvary Day. I can't remember his name, but those three are very high on Georgia's board and rightfully sold. so. So, I've coached CJ Wallet as a eighth grader all the way up now and coached personally The this past season. I've trained Travis since he was in the eighth grade. So nice. I've seen his development and he is a guy that really can stretch the field, really strong hands, and he made contested catches look easy. Um, so, I, um, you know, I, I can't wait to see where he goes um, for his college choice. You know, I stay out of that part of it, but, as a receiver, he is probably one of the better receivers to come out of the state of Georgia, probably since Hazelwood. Nice. Love to hear that. Of course, Westlake's no
0: stranger to having great players, but between uh, you know him and obviously Juan Gaston along the offensive line, there are going to be college scouts all over Westlake's sideline as much as they possibly can be for this
2: upcoming fall. Oh, most definitely. They they are loaded over there. Westlake traditionally has always had talent. So uh it's 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 funny that I live five minutes from Westlake, so I'm slated to go to Westlake. Okay. Uh so I, I know the talent that's in that area.
0: Well listen, speaking of talent and when it comes to working like you know, great players like Travis Smith and others. You've been doing that for a long time, obviously. And for people who want to be kind of the next Travis Smith or the next guy that gets on the radar for uh, college scouts, things like that, because of how well they catch the football, how can they connect with you, Terrence Edwards, Wide Receiver Academy? Get some of that nice swag, that good-looking gear, and also get some uh, <laughs> some top-notch training as well.
2: So the bubble work been in full effect for two weeks now. We had two great weeks of training. Uh, myself, Ronville, and TJ Heat. Um, so, if you're looking for your son to become a better player at DB, as well, I have a DB trainer oh, wow. there, a quarterback trainer. Um, so, yeah, there's not a lot of training groups in Atlanta that has quarterbacks, receivers, and DBs in the same spot. So, we're getting the full bowl of wax of of training in my in my training group. So, you could reach me on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy.
0: Terrence, great stuff. Always appreciate your insight. Really, really sharp uh, football mind here. And it's uh, great to talk to you. We'll look forward to doing that again very soon. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Group. Yeah, we're talking about Scott Cochran there a moment ago. In the case of Cochran, obviously people know the the personal issues that he was dealing with that caused him to step away from football. He's been very open about that. I think when guys tell stories like that, I I think it has incredible value because – for people who may be dealing with their own version of that journey, it can be a really lonely feeling and you sort of feel like well, you're the only one that's, I mean, your mind does weird things to you where you sort of end up thinking, well, I'm the only one that's ever felt this way, the only one that's ever, you know, you know, had to deal with this before. And when other people tell that story, uh, their own experience with that, I think it kind of, I mean, this is what the recovery world is sort of built on, the idea of these shared stories, build connection, and those connections allow you to make changes that you need to make so I'm always grateful when guys like Cochran tell their story but the point is is you know that's well documented what he you know went through and that caused him to step away from football and yet when he did step away you know not no longer an on-field coach but he's still making I think the same amount of money five hundred something thousand dollars or whatever else and completely separate from the the personal stories that we all uh, have come to know about you know coach Cochran you know, that's a little bit of a situation that just can't go on forever, one way or another, right? It's like, you know, at a certain point, there's a little bit of a maybe a different opportunity when it comes to the analyst position at Georgia, or perhaps a guy who's now kind of ready for the next thing, you know, professionally. This is one of those things. I just don't know that you go on in perpetuity as an analyst in that situation, making almost a half million dollars. It's just a little bit of a of a different type of deal there. So that could have been a situation, obviously, where you know, perhaps both sides were just sort of ready to kind of move on because that didn't really feel like a permanent situation necessarily, uh, at least in my eyes when it comes to, to that. But we obviously wish him well, and Daryl Dickey well, too, as uh, he also moves on, too. We know how valuable Georgia kind of views these positions, taking advantage of that support staff and really allowing the support staff to provide support to the program the way that it's supposed to. So obviously there'll, I'm sure, be more announcements forthcoming about exactly how Georgia uses those positions that are available to it. Uh, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean here. Let's talk about the fun on the way, and for me, still thinking back on Icon of the Seas, the uh, great trip I had a chance to take a couple of weeks ago, and obviously it gets me excited about being on board with all of you for Allure of the Seas coming up in April, going to Nassau in the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day, Coco K. and if you're watching on video, and I realize radio podcast, you're saying you can't see this, but that's Crown's Edge right there. Y'all, I did this. And it really is one of my favorite things about a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. And I have been lucky to take, you know, several of those. So, obviously, when you do something more than once, you kind of get into a rhythm and a routine. You up know, sometimes doing some of the same stuff over and over because it's, it's comfortable. You know you like it. But the other thing about a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, it's a chance to sort of branch out and do something you wouldn't otherwise do. And for me, that's what Crown's Edge was. When I was on Icon of the Seas a couple of weeks ago, I was kind of convinced to do it. I probably needed a little bit of convincing. But, boy, when it was over, I was so glad that I did. And you see deserted the milkshake bar there, another thing that I I probably don't need as much convincing to step up and get a great milkshake. Uh, But sometimes, you know, challenging myself with a really fun, uh, you know, experience, almost like an an attraction, uh, like you'd see in a music park in a place like uh, Icon of the Seas. But I was really glad that I did that. And that's just some of the fun, unexpected Uh, you know, you know, seeing a different version of yourself when you're you're on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, that's what you get. So we want you to do this along with us in April. Jessica Slater is a travel agent specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean to help you do all of that. You can give Jessica a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her, Slater at dreamvacations.com. She'll tell you all about all the fun stuff going down When it comes to Allure of the Seas with us, Utopia of the Seas, another brand new ship debuting in July, there is just some really fun stuff going on when it comes to Royal Caribbean here right now. I'll also remind you, we're only a couple of minutes away from former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm on our program. You'll like that with Jake here today. Good stories to tell about McCall Hardman and Malik Herring and Charlie Warner, all of those former teammates of his uh, in the Super Bowl on Sunday. That's good with Jake here coming up in a moment. We have breaking news, though. To kick things off here as we're cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Georgia State, one of the programs that started its spring practice, uh, the earliest of just about anybody. They've already had a couple of those uh, here this year, but what they no longer have is a head coach. Sean Elliott, the Georgia State coach, is reportedly leaving Atlanta to go back to a place he's worked before, South Carolina, where it looks like Elliott's going to become tight ends coach there for the Gamecocks. So we have another example of a sitting head coach leaving that job to go be an assistant. We saw Jeff Hafley leave Boston College to go be an NFL assistant. We saw Chip Kelly leave UCLA to go be an Ohio State assistant. And now we have Sean Elliott leaving Georgia State to go be a South Carolina assistant. This is pretty clearly a trend right now. It's a trend that I don't think should necessarily be ignored. College football, in some respects, is going to get smaller here. The group of five is just sort of whittling away right before our eyes. i probably overstating it somewhat by saying it that way. But watch the upcoming NFL draft. Same as a year ago, you're not seeing you know guys below the sort of high power five level be drafted at maybe the same rate you've seen in the past. Because now with the advent of the transfer portal, the talent that exists at the lower level of the sport is sort of working its way to the power five programs, which maybe they deserve to do that. Maybe, maybe that's what they should be doing. But one way or another. When head coaches are leaving to go be assistants, when players are transferring to go play at bigger programs, the group of five is just getting smaller. That's one of those things you can't quite know. You can't quite help but notice. And as far as how this relates to Georgia, obviously South Carolina is an SEC foe. And so, you know, Elliott's going to come there and try to help, you know, Shane Beamer sort of correct some, I guess, sliding that took place in the program a little bit this past season. But beyond that, there's this. I've kind of, sort of posited this theory before, and I'm going to say it again, that Georgia's got a lot of assistants who've been in place now for a little while, and you sort of wonder, well, how long can Georgia hold on to Dell McGee? How long can Georgia hold on to Todd Hartley? How long can Georgia hold on to Trey Scott? Some of those guys like that. How long can Georgia keep these assistants in place? Brian McClendon to a certain extent too, although he's a little shorter in this current tenure at Georgia than those other guys that I just mentioned. How long can Georgia hold on to these type of guys? There was a time not all that you know, into the past where – You would assume that Georgia couldn't hold on to these guys very long at all, that that assistant coaches were upwardly mobile. They were looking to get the next thing, and for many of guys like this, the next thing might be a head coaching position. It was only a couple of years ago that, for instance, Charles Huff, the running backs coach at Alabama, left to go be Marshall head coach, and that seemed like, oh, that's a really cool promotion that a running backs coach could become a head coach. But in 2024, I don't know that a similar coach would make a similar move. If Dell McGee was offered a group of five head coaching position right now, would he take it? Just given the fact that a guy like Sean Elliott is actually going the opposite direction, leaving the group of five to go back and be an assistant, that because of the absence of talent and because of the huge imbalance financially, that I don't know if if you're a valuable assistant coach, the likes of which that George exclusively employs, I don't know that those programs, so, I should say those coaches, see those programs as destinations anymore. And I don't know that being a, Group of five head coach is better than being a position coach at a place like UGA. So what does this trend mean for Georgia in particular? They may actually be able to hold on to these high-value assistants a lot longer than anybody else ever thought they would because there's not necessarily anywhere for them to go unless it's like Dan Lanning where you go and become Oregon head coach. And so let's, let's watch. Let's watch what the future of Todd Hartley is. What does he want his next move to be? I'm guessing it's probably not to go be the Louisiana Lafayette coach or to go be the 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 you know the whatever coach you know because when you see Sean Elliott leaving Georgia State to go to South Carolina, I think you're seeing the evidence of a diminished value of those kinds of coaching positions. And I could say hardly, but I could say a lot of the other Georgia coaches in that same situation. Speaking of coaching hires, looks like Kentucky has now made it official with their rumored replacement for Liam Coe, and his name is Bush Hamden. He's the former offensive coordinator at Boise State, and I will be more than happy to tell you I have no idea if this is a good hire or not. But it is fairly safe to assume that he's not the same level of offensive coordinator that Liam Cohen was. And Kentucky without Liam Cohen, we have we have examples of this. Remember, Cohen sort of played the game of came to Kentucky in 2021, left in 2022, came back in 2023. So we've got a little bit of an A B test here between what Kentucky looks like when it doesn't have Cohen and what it looks like when it does have Cohen. And this is a very different version of the offense, and Mark Stoops looks like a lot more of an exciting head coach when he's got an OC like Liam Cohen pushing the buttons for his offense. So Hamden may have invented the sport for all I know, but this seems like a likely downgraded OC. Cohen leaves to go become the Bucks OC. Uh, that clearly gives you an idea of his estimated worth. So what does this mean for Brock Vandergriff in particular? I don't know. I would say this makes the Georgia game against Kentucky relatively early in this upcoming season probably a little bit easier. Uh, Mark Stoops is just nothing special. No matter what people want to say, Stoops is just nothing special as a head coach. Uh Texas A&M fans revolted when they thought he was going to be their guy, and I sort of understand where that's coming from. But Stoops, who does know how to coach toughness and does know how to value lines of scrimmage, when you give him a sharp offensive mind, that can be sort of a formidable force. That's what Liam Cohen offered. Cohen's no longer there. They bring in a guy from Boise State. Safest bet here is this is likely a downgrade. This is not a college football story, but it does impact college football fans. Uh, Vern Lundquist, the former voice of the SEC on CBS, who still does the Masters broadcast, and I believe uh, they're from the 16th hour. That's the only – I think that's the only broadcast he still does. He has announced that this year's Masters will be his last. And so, uh, boy, what a voice. Uh, What a guy that we connect so deeply. And how about our – Team here, getting the Vern Lundquist uh, visuals going here. I tell about this is like a real show. That's amazing. Uh, so good stuff there. Uh, for, you know, for, from our, from our folks putting all that together. And honestly, I love Vern Lundquist. I really do. Uh, I love his work on the Masters. It is so so good. He is such a big part of that broadcast. I'm really sad to think that uh, this will be his last year there doing that because it's just a comforting thing to hear on that spring weekend. And I enjoyed him when he was doing the the broadcast on CBS there as well. So we wish him well as he moves into a full-fledged retirement here, but a voice that will certainly be missed across sports because Lundquist was a very, very fun guy to have. Uh, one more thing to get to here. We talked about this yesterday on our R.S. Andrews Cooldown at the end of the show. Chris Del Conte, the Texas athletic director, was asked the other day about the future of Texas playing Texas A&M. And Del Conte says that Texas and Texas A&M are going to play every single year. Which, if that's true, given the fact that Texas is also slated to play Oklahoma every year, sounds like Delcani thinks that the SEC is going to move to a nine game conference schedule. And Delcani recently said basically as much that, you know, obviously for the 2024 season, there's an eight game schedule in place. And then he thinks maybe for the next season, there could still be an eight game schedule in place. But eventually moving towards a nine game conference slate by, I think, 2026, he talked about there. This, to me, was a very interesting statement because I have sort of assumed here for a while that the SEC just didn't have the votes to get to nine. Del Conde seems to think that's the case, or he's just really adamant that the nine-game conference slate is what the league should be doing, and he's sort of pushing to to get them there. Uh, So perhaps the notion that the SEC could get to a nine-game conference slate and more of the traditional rivalries could be preserved because if Georgia – uh, only plays an eight-game conference slate. It's not playing Auburn every year, for instance. The words here of the Texas AD give new life to the notion that there could be um, an expanded SEC schedule coming there at some point in time. So we shall see about that. We'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And as promised, we'll move in now to a Kroger Fresh Take and bring you on the former Georgia quarterback, Jake Fromm, to today's show. Roger Fresh Take, welcoming the former Georgia quarterback, Jake Fromm. Kind enough to join us not just in the show, but on video there as well. You'll see he's got his Washington Commander shirt on. He's uh, he's looking good. Jake, it's great to see your face as a part of the program. We appreciate you doing that.
3: Brandon, what's going on? Always a great pleasure to be here on the show with you. Uh, even better to be here on video, man. Trying to be a little bit more personable today. Uh, hopefully we can keep this up and uh, mix it in the routine.
0: Well, you're watching the Super Bowl, I'm sure, on Sunday. And like any NFL player, you hope to one day bring home the Lombardi trophy of your own. But what was your feeling, you know, seeing Nicole Harbin, first of all, catch the game-winning touchdown. That's a guy you threw touchdown passes to Georgia. Uh, th- you threw touchdown passes to him while at Georgia. Now, you know, he's catching a touchdown of this magnitude. What is your feeling when you see a guy that you know so well be a hero on a stage like that?
3: Yeah, it's a, just a great story for uh, me, to uh You know, he, he's coming full circle back to the Chiefs. You know, he went and signed a free agent deal with the Jets didn't quite turn out the way uh maybe he expected it to and gets traded back to the Chiefs and, and has uh, of course and Miko Fashion just a another big game um in in the biggest game of the year. So that's just that's just Miko that's what he does and um just a great story and a, and a great play from him and it was also fun to watch uh, Malik Herring get some snaps out yeah. there and watch my roommate uh and one of my best friends and Charlie Warner out there playing as well. So had dogs all over the field, and you got to stay tuned in and locked in, and uh, ended up being a really, really good football game.
0: Yeah, I love that. I know you and Charlie are good friends, and we also talked on Monday. You and I have talked about this before, the the Christmas commitments video that you were a part of here with this at Dog Nation yeah. when Malik Herring announced his commitment, and, you know, that's a guy that, you know, he fought for a spot on the Georgia roster. You know, he fought for a spot on the NFL roster. Now he's getting Super Bowl rings you know, Charlie's a guy that's really playing a lot for San Francisco and kind of a big part oh, yeah. of what Kyle Shanahan wants to do there. And Jake, the point that I've made is, is that's a lot of what football is, right? I mean, there's the glitz and glamour of dating Taylor Swift, but there's also the, I think the larger story that's more true for more players, which is it's a sport in which you just grind. And sometimes there's not a ton of fanfare about it. There's not a lot of glitz and glamour. It's just showing up and doing your job. And whether it's Robert Beal, you know, Charlie Warner for for San Francisco yep. or a guy like Malik for uh, Kansas City. It does say something pretty cool about these ex-Georgia guys that they are in the league and thriving and making a living and, you know, really doing what is obviously not an easy thing, which is making a life for themselves in the NFL. Super Bowl kind of a reminder of that.
3: Yeah, uh, it's it's tough out there. It is not easy. Um, you know, there are some, of course, some great perks that come along with, with being an NFL football player and, and getting the opportunity to play a kid's game for a living. Um, but it's tough. It's very competitive out there. Um, there are people all over the country and all over all over the world, really, um, that wants your job. So to, to be your best every single day, uh, it's very tough to do. And uh, man, just shout out to those guys who who got to do it at the highest level and at the highest and biggest game at the highest level
0: as a quarterback, I can't move off this topic without asking you about Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, I said kind of going into the game, Jake, that I wasn't ready to put him into the, the Tom Brady category just yet. I actually thought that San Francisco would win the game just simply because, hey, you know, asking him to win again, back-to-back at one point in time this year, the Chiefs did not look like a Super Bowl team, and yet Mahomes just finds that ability to to rise to the moment on the biggest stage. You know what it takes to play the quarterback you know position at this level. What can you say about the career that Patrick Mahomes is putting together right now?
3: Yeah, I mean his career so far has been nothing short of of great. Um he's done a fantastic job of of making plays with his legs, with his arms and making plays in the most clutch moments of football games. He just finds a way to get it done. Um it just it doesn't matter who it's with. Uh, he's just going to find a way to make a play and to win a football game, so he he's creeping up that list and he's doing a great job. Um, obviously, the longevity of career is is going to be a, a very big factor on that. Um, but man, right now, uh, kind of all signs point to to him ending up being one of the the greatest ever play the position.
0: This week, Georgia brought in another transfer player, Ben Yurasek. That's a tight end from Stanford. This is a guy that couple-time Pac-12, all-league player, you know, injured a little bit in 2023, but a good number of catches in 2021 and 2022. You know, Jake, as a quarterback, you always want weapons, guys you can throw to. But in particular, what is the value of a tight end? Now, People are going to want to make the comparison to Brock Bowers because Bowers also from California, and that's probably unfair to anybody. But, you know, knowing that Bowers is no longer in the program and knowing that Georgia wants to have – as many capable tight ends as you can have to go along with Oscar Delp, and guys that are already here. What is the value of having a tight end that you can really trust to throw to the football to Georgia's clearly likes having good ones. One of the reasons why seemingly it's wanting to bring in Eurosec here.
3: Yeah. And you know, you can ask Patrick Mahomes the same question too uh, and, and Brock Purdy as well. I mean, just having a, a good tight end, it, it to it's, a, it's a, like a second quarterback on the field generally those guys really understand the game of football because they have to understand run scheme and they have to understand the the passing uh, concept scheme. Um, so these guys really are really smart. They understand football. Um, and, and and in today's day and age, they're very athletic. Uh, and they can end up being a quarterback's best friend um, for a, a ton of reasons. And, man, when you have a guy who, who ends up being one of the best athletes on the field, they can make a ton of plays um, just with the ball in their hands.
0: So, a story you've been following this week kind of outside of Georgia involves Alabama, and there's some controversy because Ryan Grubb was named Alabama Offensive Coordinator, then left to go to the Seattle Seahawks. And the controversy here stems from the idea that it certainly seems like the Seattle Times reported this as being true, that Alabama waited until after that 30, right to the end of that 30-day window for transfers after Nick Saban's retirement to kind of make the announcement that Grubb's actually not going to be here, he's going to be going back to the NFL or back to Seattle to be in the NFL instead. I, I guess a couple-part question this. Let me start with this. As a player yourself, do you understand the frustration that some players might have about, you know, I think I'm going to be playing with this one coach, and then you sort of wait to the end to let me know, well, no, that guy is actually not going to be here. When you're a quarterback or any position, your coordinator matters, right? and And, you know, having things come to find out be different than you were sort of told they would be, I'm guessing you could probably understand how some players would perhaps be maybe not all that happy about that,
3: yeah. this one hundred percent as a player, I would be very, very frustrated with the idea of thinking that i'm I'm playing for one coach when, in fact, it's somebody I, I have no idea and I have no control over. So I, I mean, this is kind of why I, I lean on and, and maybe fight for or agree with the the transfer portal because yeah. if if college coaches can go and change jobs, on a whim, you know, I, I, am like, you guys are recruiting me. I I'm committing to, to you and the program. And man, if you're changing jobs for millions of dollars, I, I should be able to have a little bit uh, of leeway in which college, uh, that I'm going to, because the coach matters so much.
0: Let me squeeze in one more uh, point on this, you know, Kaelin DeBoer's got offensive expertise, so it's kind of his system anyway. But, you know, Grubb was supposed to be the guy. You've also got change over in Ohio State now where Bill O'Brien was brought in. Now he's going to Boston College. And then Chip Kelly's coming in to run that offense. How important is this time of year for the installation part of all this? And if you're a quarterback trying to learn the offense or trying to get familiar with a new system, how much does this time really matter for all of that? And if your program like Alabama, that at least as the time of us recording this, doesn't have an offensive coordinator officially in place, how much is lost by not having that be true at the moment
3: yeah uh, this may be kind of obvious but i think it matters a lot less for the players at this time of the year and it matters a whole lot more for the coaches okay uh, for the coaches they're trying to get together and, and they're really trying to to put together a system put together a playbook hey what what are our schemes what what do we like what's our skill set at, at certain positions so uh, to me, and in this time of the year, man, this is just all about the coaches and, and implementing an offense. They're they're behind closed doors and they're saying, hey, uh, this is what we like. This is what we're going to call this and, and really put together putting together a playbook. So this time of the year is all about the coaches. And I, w- I would say here and probably two more weeks is really where it's going to start mattering to the players when they start implementing their offenses, getting ready for spring practice.
0: That makes a lot of sense, Jake. We appreciate your time on the Kroger Fresh Take today and uh, always love your insight on the game. And well, we hope you have a uh, great week. We'll look forward to talking to you again very soon.
3: Brandon, as always, man, thank you for having me. And uh, it's always a blessing to be here.
0: Absolutely. Jake, absolutely love Jake Fromm on the uh, Kroger Fresh Take. Always good to get his perspective and all that. We appreciate our friends at Kroger making it all possible. How about Kroger Chef Jr. coming up this month? Uh, The chance to make some melon ball parfait. How interesting and fun does that sound? And What a great way to get your kids eating something that's good for them and sort of fun to be a part of the food preparation process for. It's just $7 per child. The website is KrogerChefJunior.com. The word junior spelled out, J-U-N-I-O-R, KrogerChefJunior.com. A couple of different times this month, March 2nd, March 16th. And in addition to making the melon ball parfait, you also get the apron and patch, the chef's hat, the recipe carton holder, and the Melon Baller. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So check out KrogerChefJr.com for more on that today. KrogerChefJr.com today. Speaking of sounding awesome, how about a golden shoe today? Requiring some explanation. So apparently there is a former Florida running back, allegedly, who has been selling some fake autograph merchandise, things like that. <laughs> and so... uh One of the things that he allegedly sold that was not an accurate signing and the man involved, Marco Wilson, said as much on social media is this autographed picture of Marco Wilson throwing the shoe. (laughs) and It's autographed by Marco Wilson with the caption, Fly High. (laughs) So apparently this is a fake autograph that's out there, but some Florida fans saw it, thought it was real, and were like, we're mad because why would yeah, you'd be glorifying such a you know bad moment in Florida history. And so a guy named Penny Outlaw wrote in on this discussion and tagging me saying, it's the golden shoe for the greatest moment in Gator history. Bad Penny, I'm really appreciative of you sharing this for me. This entire story is funny. Uh, the fake autograph allegedly being peddled by a former Florida player. The fact that it's captioned with fly high. There is literally nothing about this that I do not like. Uh, so, Penny, we certainly appreciate that a well-earned golden shoe coming your direction uh, for all of this. By the way, speaking of the lousy, stinking gators, I think tomorrow we may get more into the uh, NIL issues the gators are dealing with here right now. I think we've been kind of waiting for the just the appropriate uh, moment to really kind of pounce on that. But uh, we'll pounce on this now 1,195 days. That's how long it's been since Florida has beaten Georgia. We call it our Gator Hitter Updater. We'll see all of you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Merryweather and Tharp.